welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you haven't heard of this company, you are in for a treat. Paleo Valley makes beef sticks from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. So these cows were never given any grain at all. If you go to paleovalley.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the discount code wellnessmama10, you can actually get up to 40% off because they offer bulk discounts as well, which is how I order. Now, if you're not familiar with this company, I think you're going to like it. Their products are gut-friendly, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, and they're made the old school way, which means they're naturally fermented. So each beef stick contains a billion CFUs of probiotics. These cows are never given antibiotics or hormones, and it's one of the most nutritious snacks I've found for my kids that actually works on the go. So again, check it out, paleovalley.com forward slash wellnessmama with the code wellnessmama10 to get the discount. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Studio Press Sites. This is an all-in-one platform that makes setting up and running a blog super easy. It includes hosting, themes, plugins, and much more. Basically, it's an all-in-one solution, all for one monthly price, without all the headaches that come with trying to learn it all yourself. I wish I'd had this tool when I started blogging, and even if you have an existing blog, it may save you time and money and be an upgrade from what you currently have. So check it out at wellnessmama.com forward slash studio press. And now on to the episode. Welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I'm really excited about today's guest because besides being a personal friend, she's also one of the most brilliant people I know and has helped thousands and thousands of people. Dr. Isabella Wentz is an internationally acclaimed thyroid specialist and licensed pharmacist who has dedicated her entire career to addressing the root cause of autoimmune thyroid disease after she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2009. She's also the author of the New York Times bestselling patient guide, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions, and Finding and Treating the Root Cause. In her new book called Hashimoto's Protocol, a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back, is just now available, and I'm so excited for you guys to be able to read and learn from that as well. And as a patient, advocate, a researcher, a clinician, and an educator, Isabella is committed to raising awareness about how to overcome autoimmune thyroid disease through all of her work, and she also has a great docu-series called The Thyroid Secret and also a practitioner training to help clinicians understand and treat Hashimoto's more effectively. Isabella, thank you so much for being here. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast because I'm such a huge fan of your work. Oh, ditto. I love everything you do as well. And I remember when I first met you and we stayed up almost all night at a conference just talking about thyroid disease and health and all these amazing things that you know, and I'm excited to get to share you with my audience today. Thank you so much. Um, I'd love to just jump right in. I know that you're, you're in my mind, you're one of the top experts in this by far. And so I think you can really help give us an understanding of thyroid disease and how to know if you have it and how to find answers. I think that's a big struggle for a lot of women is maybe they have researched and found that they think they may have thyroid disease, but actually getting to the root of it and finding an, a clinician or a doctor who can help them is a whole different story. So let's start from the beginning. Why do you think we are seeing higher rates of thyroid disease, and especially in women? I know you've written about this. You know, it, it's a very good question. And a lot of it has to do with um, toxicity in our environment. So we know that over the last years, we've looked at the rates of thyroid disorders, and they keep increasing. And it's not just because we have better diagnostic methods, but it's because we have all these toxins. And so various studies have found that, you know, how close you live to like a chemical plant, um, children who were exposed to the Chernobyl disaster, and all of these other places where 
we were basically exposed to toxins, we're going to see higher rates of thyroid antibodies, which indicate that the thyroid gland is under attack and that the person either has Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, which are the primary reasons why a person will ha would have a sluggish thyroid. So just one example would be um, during the Chernobyl incident, children within close proximity of that incident, 80% of them had thyroid antibodies. Comparing that to Ukrainian children that were a little bit further away, um, you know, those children only had maybe 10, 15% of them had thyroid antibodies. So you know, like why women have thyroid disease, this is something that keeps me awake at night and has, has kept me thinking about this quite a bit because we know that for every man that's diagnosed, we have five to eight women that are diagnosed. We're now looking at about 27% of our general population with Hashimoto's antibodies. And Synthroid was the number one prescribed medication for like three, um, two out of the last three years. It was number two last year. Vicodin finally beat it out. But the point is, um, Synthroid is synthetic thyroid hormone, and most people that take this medication actually have Hashimoto's. And looking through all of the things that can be contributing, so we know that pregnancy, puberty, and perimenopause are three peak times when a woman is more likely to be diagnosed with thyroid disease. And so we know that hormones seem to play a role. But you know, hormones alone don't explain the big changes because there are some women who maybe never go through pregnancy or women who haven't even been through puberty and they're going to be more affected. And then we have um, the theory with personal care products. On average, every woman uses 12 or so personal care, personal care products where men use about six. And we know that, and I know that you talk about this on, you know, with, through your work and your blog, that a lot of the personal care products are going to be filled with toxins. So they're going to be filled with endocrine disruptors. Um, they're going to be filled with things that disrupt thyroid hormones that upset estrogen levels. One example is triclosan, which has been added to the antibacterial soaps, and it's also now added to our toothpaste. And so this is something that's recently been banned by the FDA because of thyroid disruption. And we have thousands of chemicals like that that we're potentially exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, makeup, for example, we found that women who use lipstick are more likely to have lupus, another type of autoimmune condition. Sure, no studies have been done, but again, this is another factor that can be contributing to why women have higher rates of thyroid disorders. And then, you know, when I kind of thought about this and I, I went back and I thought about like, okay, so why women, why so many women? Because I, I don't think personal care products can account for all of this. I don't think hormones can account for all of this. So what else is there? And Generally, when we think about how disease develops um, from an adaptive physiology standpoint, it's going to be from potentially a way that it could be protective. So the theory is that people get autoimmune thyroid disease because at one point it was protective. Now, we know that in times of famine and war, people who don't need as many calories and people who are not as, as adventurous and more likely to retreat back into their homes were the ones that were more likely to survive. So one example was the Irish potato famine, where people who survived the Irish potato famine were more likely to be hypothyroid because they didn't need as many calories to survive and get by. And so in a way, um, hypothyroidism puts us in a hibernation-like state. Um, it helps us to get through tough times. So back in cavewoman times, when we were all running around with you know, running away from, from bears and dangerous animals and we're 
hiding from the cold weather in our caves and that helped our survival, it, it was possible that that thyroid disease played a protective role. Also, we know that women are are have, you know, the primary duty of bringing new life into this world. Of course, men contribute, but women were the ones that carry babies and we're the ones that feed and nourish them. And so we know that in times of war and famine where there's a lot of toxicity, there's not going to be you know, like for helping our survival, it's probably not best to be pregnant at that time. So really goes back to how our bodies have sort of adapted to helping us survive and helping our species survive. So that that's kind of the whole theory based on adaptive physiology is basically anything that is threatening, women are going to be able to dial into that and women are going to be able to, their, our immune systems are going to be more responsive to that compared to men's re- immune systems because we um, have the important job of bringing new life into this world. So long story short, really anything that could be setting off your safety alarm, making you feel like you're not safe, whether that is a nutrient deficiency. So, you know, in cavewoman times, if you were nutrient deficient, you would likely not have enough foods around. Um, food sensitivity, so anything that causes you inflammation. In cavewoman times, we were probably not eating grasses and these other things that we're eating now that are not even considered foods. Infections can also trigger autoimmune thyroid disease and if a woman had an infection, it would make sense for her probably not to reproduce. And um, we know that hypothyroidism is something that slows down fertility. And so um, that's another mechanism there. And um, another thing that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to or think about, but trauma as well as stressful events can actually trigger thyroid disease as well. And we've had so many different studies of you know traumatic events, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, um, being prisoners of war, and any things that really cause trauma in our lives can contribute to thyroid hormone abnormalities. So, you know, in, in a nutshell, anything that really makes us feel unsafe is going to be contributing to higher levels of thyroid disease. And generally being a woman is, is not as safe as being a man in our modern world. That makes perfect sense. And it ties in so well, all of the root causes you talk about in your first book, and then also so well in your second book. And if I'm remembering, you have uh, a lot of these factors in your own life. And if you don't mind sharing a little bit, um, you have Hashimoto's as well, but you're now in remission. Can you talk about your own journey and how you really got into researching and to have such a heart for thyroid care? Yeah, of course. And and so in full disclosure, I was never really interested in the thyroid during pharmacy school. It wasn't until I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2009, after I had like this decade almost of strange symptoms is when I really became passionate because I wanted to figure out if there was anything I can do to stop the progression of the condition or reverse the condition. Um, of course, I knew that I could take medications, which are can be very, very helpful, but I knew that there was more to that. It was like, my immune system was attacking my thyroid gland and I was just taking more thyroid hormone instead of trying to stop the autoimmune attack. So, you know, the I had a lot of different symptoms throughout. So I had, you know, of course, childhood trauma and I had nutrient deficiencies. I had multiple food sensitivities. Gluten, dairy, and soy were some of my big ones. I had four gut infections. I had a lot of a lot of stress. So I had an impaired stress response and I also had higher levels of mercury in my body. So for a lot of people, you know, it really is a perfect storm of root causes. Some people might just have one root cause. They might just be gluten sensitive and they get off of gluten and then they're able to recover their health. 
other people, you know, they have to do a little bit more digging. So they might have to look at, okay, what foods am I sensitive to? What nutrients am I deficient in? Do I have chronic infections? Why is my gut leaky? Do I have toxins in my body? And then how's my stress response? What can I do to either um, reset my current stress response? Is my life like really stressful now where I'm not getting any sleep? Or am I hypervigilant because of some past events that I've had in my life? And so Sometimes it's, you know, it's really like peeling back the layers of an onion. But the good news is whenever you do one of these things, you start getting better and better. Yeah, I've noticed that in my own life as well. But I think the part that is so amazing to me is that you've had such success with helping so many people, especially women, to really find their own causes in the recovery. And um, I follow you on Facebook, your Facebook page, and it's amazing to see all the comments of woman after woman who has seen all these positive changes and who finally got diagnosed or finally found her own answers. And from what I understand, you've worked with thousands of people with Hashimoto's. And while some people think this is kind of a lifelong sentence or that you can never really improve, you're seeing people see improvement within even a couple of weeks, even people who have been suffering for years. So let's talk about that. How do you do that? How do you have such amazing results with these women? Um, one of the things is, and when I first started, it was I was kind of looking at like what were everybody's triggers because everybody's triggers might be slightly different. Like one person might have um, breast implants that created a toxic burden in their body. And so their body body's detox systems became overwhelmed. Another person might have mold exposure. Another person might have gut infection. And, you know, there's a lot of different kind of triggers that could cause thyroid disease, but there are also underlying kind of root cause commonalities and the root cause commonalities are three different systems that are going to be impaired. And those systems are going to be liver detox capabilities, the adrenals, so our stress response, and then our gut. And so what I do is basically I go through, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but they're very similar interventions for everybody that send like the safety messages to their bodies. So what, what I do now with everybody is I start them off on a liver support protocol for about two weeks. And the liver support protocol, it helps them clear any toxins. So we're not doing anything like a forceful detox or a heavy metal chelation, which can be for some people, you know, it can make them worse instead of making them feel better. But what we're doing is we're looking at, okay, what in your life could be potentially overwhelming your detox systems? And um, how do we support those detox systems naturally? And so the things we're going to do, we're going to be looking at getting rid of some of the most common toxic foods. Those are going to be gluten, dairy, and soy. We're going to be looking at trying to clean up the environment. So I might have people go on a, you know, a makeup-free, personal care-free two weeks where they don't use any personal care products, or I will send them over actually to your blog and say, hey, Use Katie's recipes for these products because and make alternatives for stuff within your home. Then we're also looking at getting rid of um, different types of things within our homes. So we're going through and, you know, getting rid of all the plastics. We're getting rid of all the antibacterial soaps. We're getting people um, a fluoride filter. So fluoride is a toxin that can suppress thyroid function. Not many people know this, but it was used for people with an overactive thyroid to suppress their thyroid before, before medications that were more effective were invented. Needless to say, if you're drinking eight cups of water, of fluoridated water, you're probably suppressing your thyroid um, just with that dose of fluoride that you're getting. 
And then, um, you know, fluoride-free toothpaste. So we go through kind of a checklist of all these things that are potential toxins within the home, and we get rid of those. And then what we also do is we add in some foods that can be detoxifying so and help support the liver pathways. So we're, we're adding more turmeric to the diet. We're adding green juices. We're adding green smoothies. We're doing some cilantro, those kinds of things that kind of support the detox pathways naturally. And then we're also going to bring in like a two-week liver support protocol where we do a liver support powder that has a lot of vitamins and nutrients in it. I do some products that help to support liver function naturally. So we're, we're supporting phase one and phase two detox. So milk thistle is a great example of an herb that does that. Turmeric is another wonderful supplement. And we do that for about two weeks and we kind of kick everybody off on that. So everybody's on the same page and it works really, really well. I started doing this a few years ago with my clients and it just some of the things that improved were, were like almost miraculous. Um, one of the biggest things I see is multiple chemical sensitivities. People who have those, those can like, like vanish within two weeks. Um, most people will see like at least a reduction about half in their multiple chemical sensitivities. Um, then we start seeing headaches going away. We start seeing fatigue improving. We start seeing, you know, we start seeing people saying that they, their joint pains and body pains go away. And that, that's just to kind of kick them off within two weeks. And, um, you know, I've, I've done this with my clients now. It's, it's sort of a prerequisite for working further together. And it's also something I've used in my group program. And I've also surveyed people within my group program and 65% of them felt significantly better just within the first two weeks of the liver support protocol. That's incredible, especially because I feel like fatigue and tiredness and just the, that feeling of thyroid disease is one of the biggest things and one of the hardest to really quantify um, or to for a doctor to get to the bottom of. So that's incredible to see over half of the people seeing that with even in a few weeks. You mentioned that people like nutrient deficiencies can maybe ma lead to thyroid disease and also that there are times when you have thyroid disease when you'll actually have nutrient deficiencies related to that as well. So what are some of the more common ones that you tend to see? Um, for people who have Hashimoto's? You know, the really big one is going to be selenium. So selenium is, um, there are so many studies that have shown that it can be um, a trigger, or selenium deficiency can be a trigger for Hashimoto's. It can be um, something that's a trigger for Graves' disease as well as postpartum thyroiditis. And so supplementing with selenium can help all three. Generally, I recommend selenium methionine at 200 micrograms per day. You can get selenium from Brazil nuts as well, except for we don't necessarily know how much selenium is in a Brazil nut because some of them might have higher levels. Others might have lower levels depending on the soils where they're grown. And um, the thing to remember with selenium is it's, it's like a Goldilocks nutrient. So we, we don't want to get too high amounts of it because when it goes above 800 micrograms, it can become toxic. So Generally, that's something that I recommend using as a supplement from 200 to 400 micrograms a day, have people start with 200. And um, the results that I've seen with it are people start feeling more calm, so that thyroid anxiety goes away, they start having more energy. So um, selenium helps to improve T4 to T3 conversion, as does the liver support. So that explains why people um, have more energy when they do these things. And then we also, um, what's a side, nice side benefit is within three months when we retest people's thyroid antibodies, in general, they'll reduce by about half. And so, you know, there's some controversy on this from various types of practitioners, 
But what I've found and what the research has shown is that thyroid antibodies can be used as one of the markers to determine how aggressive the autoimmune attack is on the thyroid gland. And so whenever we see an intervention that reduces thyroid antibodies, in most cases, this is a really good thing because that means that we've made the condition less aggressive. And so just with this one supplement, we could see about a reduction in about half for people's thyroid antibodies. Um, so that's one of the big ones. The other ones are going to be um, vitamin D. So getting vitamin D levels up between 60 and 80 is going to be really helpful for getting into remission. Ferritin levels may be deficient. So ferritin is an iron storage protein, and you need to get tested for this to make sure that you are within a good range for that. Generally, if you want to have good hair, you want to have a ferritin somewhere between 70 and 90. Ferritin is one of those nutrients that's deficient in people with thyroid disease and often in ones that have trouble with their hair energy and um, are short of breath. Um, then we're also looking at B vitamins. Um, B12 is one of the more common ones that's deficient. And also thiamine is another vitamin that's very commonly deficient. I recommend about 600 milligrams of thiamine a day. Within three days or so, taking a thiamine supplement can reverse a person's fatigue. It's, it's quite impressive, very amazing what it can do. And then Another big one I see is magnesium deficiency, and um, this can be really a game changer for women who have menstrual cramps or any kind of pain, um, anxiety, insomnia, and taking magnesium citrate at bedtime can completely turn that around. And I know um, I used to have severe menstrual cramps, and then within the first month of taking magnesium, I was like, what happened to my menstrual cramps? They're gone. And I've had so many clients over and over come back with the same thing where they were, you know, taking medications, they were taking birth control to try to suppress their menstrual cramps. And within the first month, it's like, oh, my period came. I didn't even know it was coming today because I didn't have any cramps. So that can be, you know, another kind of really helpful thing. And, and really these things are, these um, nutrients can be complete game changers once you replenish them. Yeah, that's amazing. So are these things people, do you, do you typically recommend them trying to get from food? Or with thyroid disease, is there a time for careful supplementation with these? I really love for people to get everything from food um, as much as they can. But as you mentioned, um, thyroid disease can make us have a more difficult time with absorbing nutrients from our food. And so in the short term, as you're trying to get better, you may require some supplementation. And so um, some of the ways that hypothyroidism can interfere with nutrient absorption, one of them is having low stomach acid. And so oftentimes we'll find that people with hypothyroidism either make no stomach acid or they make hardly like very tiny bits of it. And so when you have low stomach acid, this means that you're probably not going to be absorbing your iron or ferritin very well. Of course, one of the things to do is to work on getting your stomach acid levels up. Um, people can do this with getting apple cider vinegar, with um, drinking hot lemon water in the morning, as well as using a supplement digestive enzyme called betaine with pepsin with their protein-containing foods. And then, of course, working on the underlying root causes. So a lot of times we'll see a lot of gut dysfunction in thyroid disease. Part of that is basically when you have low thyroid, it slows down your gut motility. And so then you're going to be more at risk for having things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which will then mean that instead of you absorbing the nutrients from your food, that all of your bacteria are absorbing it. 
Also, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is also a trigger for thyroid disease. And same with H. pylori, which is an infection that can occur in the stomach. And so a lot of times we're, we're kind of, we're not sure if it's a chicken or the egg. What we do know is once we get rid of these infections, that the person feels better and their thyroid antibodies improve and then their digestion improves um, and they're able to digest foods better. And so once we address these types of infections, we can start utilizing more food as medicine rather than doing supplements. But a lot of times in once people have thyroid disease, they're going to be so nutrient depleted that it takes taking these nutrients in very high doses to kind of, you know, overcome what the bacteria need. Because when we think about what's in food, food has very like I would say small doses of vitamins and nutrients. And it's just because you're eating it on a constant basis is, is how you're replenishing your stores. With the vitamins, what we're doing is we're doing mega dosing in a lot of times compared to what you would get from food. And sometimes you need that mega dosing to sort of, you know, feed yourself and feed the bacteria rather than them stealing everything from your food, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that explains too why since there's the gut connection and the nutrient level connections, why just something like treating the, the symptoms of thyroid disease with Synthroid is not going to fix those other problems. So even if you're getting your numbers maybe better, you're still going to have the fatigue and some of the other issues. It's um, And you have to take other steps to really kind of fix that as well. Another question I know I get a lot from readers and that I think you have some really good answers to is, what are some specific things women can do to help lose weight with thyroid disease? Because that's obviously a symptom, but also it's typically very difficult to lose weight once one has thyroid disease. So how do you address that? Yeah, so weight gain is one of the most common symptoms of thyroid disease. And there's a few different things that you can do. And I kind of, you know, would want to have you go through a checklist of things. And one of them is making sure that you are um, using appropriate medication if, if that's something that, that you're looking into. So making sure that you're taking not just synthetic thyroid hormone, T4, but you're also getting some of the T3, which is the more active thyroid hormone. And you can get T3 from a medication like Armour Thyroid, Nature Throid, um, WP Thyroid. You could get that through a medication as known as Cytomel. And then you can also get this through a compounding pharmacist. There's some people that have benefited from glandulars as well. So the standard process has a glandular that is known as thytrophin PMG that has helped some people slightly in getting their T3 levels optimized and feeling better. So this is going to be one of the first things to do is make sure that you're optimized on that. Some other ways you can support your T3 levels are going to be through supporting your liver, supporting your stress response, so putting yourself more at ease and being more relaxed. And then you're also going to be doing things like selenium to help with the conversion of T4 to T3. So the theory of why we hold on to weight is because our body thinks it's starving and because it is basically saying, okay, we need to conserve energy, we need to conserve resources. Um, and so I always go back to thinking about like, well, what are you doing in your life that's making your body think that it needs to conserve energy and resources? So besides, of course, getting on appropriate medication, we're also going to be trying to send those safety signals to the body. So that's going to be, you know, a lot of women exercise a lot and then they keep putting on weight or they don't lose weight. And when you think about it, when you're doing a lot of exercise, you could be sending a stress signal to your body that you are being chased by bears all day, every day. And um, getting actually less exercise can be helpful for some people. So I've had 
a few clients that were doing a lot of walking and they were like, okay, I just keep on putting weight. I don't know what's going on. And so what we ended up doing is we tested their adrenals. Um, I've had three clients like this to date. And when their adrenals came back, they were in stage three adrenal dysfunction. So they were barely getting by. And I actually had them do more resting instead of more walking. So it seems counterintuitive, but they actually felt better when they were getting more rest, of course, and they also started losing weight. So this is something that can be kind of counterintuitive, but can be very helpful. Making sure you're getting plenty of sleep is going to be really important. People oftentimes will try to push themselves when they have thyroid disease because it makes you really tired and then you feel bad that you're not getting things done. And so the key is to kind of go with it because listen to what your body's trying to tell you and trying to get more rest, trying to get adequate sleep each night can be very helpful with that. Um, another thing that people find helpful is using probiotics. So uh, basically crowding out the bacteria out of your gut that extract a lot of nutrients from from um, your food. So what's interesting is there have been studies done in people who were overweight compared to people who were of average weight, and the people who were overweight had more t- different types of bacteria within their gut. And these bacteria basically you know, if you ate 100 calories, they would take that 100 calories and distribute it throughout your body versus in people who were of average weight, the bacteria might only extract, you know, a percentage of, of those calories. And the other the other thing kind of that can happen is some people that have challenging issues may end up with something known as like a damaged metabolism, where, um, for example, skipping breakfast for a while or fasting or having blood sugar issues basically sent a lot of messages to their body over time that they just needed to conserve energy and that they needed to conserve resources. And in those cases, various supplements might be helpful to help reset that, to try to reset that like that whole response. That's fascinating that even two people eating the same foods, their gut bacteria could actually take more and store it from someone who has those issues. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. And I think it's really annoying too, because you could be eating, you know, if you have thyroid disease and you had an identical twin sister um, and you had this, you know, you were eating exactly the same, but you had different gut bacteria and you had an underactive thyroid, you know, you could be basically putting on weight when your twin sister would just be staying the same weight. And it, it can be very frustrating, but it also, I think, is empowering to know all of the different factors. And One of the important things is, you know, just not to blame yourself and not listen to people that tell you that you need to exercise more and eat less because more exercise and calorie restriction is going to tell your body that you are, that you need to conserve energy. Like it'll work in the short term, but in the long term, it'll just kind of damage your metabolism. So you really need to think about like, how do you make your body feel like it's safe and how do you make Um, your body feel like food is abundant. And you do that with like really good um, nutrient dense food with making sure you're getting plenty of vitamins, plenty of rest and, you know, like being kind to yourself and and going to, to the spa or staying home and taking a nap, which of course is not the easiest for when you have little children. But if you can get your family to send you to the spa for Mother's Day or for another holiday that I think that would be a great step in the right direction. I love that. And I love that taking a nap may actually be better for weight loss in some cases than going for a run. I think that'll be encouraging to a lot of people to hear. Just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley. 
If you aren't familiar with them, I'll explain why they're one of my favorite companies that I found recently. They make, among other things, some amazing grass-fed beef sticks. These are non-perishable, they don't have to be refrigerated, so they're great to take along in your purse for hungry kids, but they are even better than that. There's a lot of different meat-based products out there, meat bars, beef jerky, etc., but theirs stands out. It's made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef. It was never given grain at all. It's also grain-free, dairy-free, and soy-free, but it's even better than that. Their beef sticks are made the old-school method. They're naturally fermented, which means every single beef stick contains 1 billion CFUs of probiotics, as well as high levels of omega-3. So these are a snack I feel great about giving to my kids and that they love. And you can get a discount of up to 40% by going to paleovalley.com forward slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama10. That code will get you 10% off, but they also offer bulk discounts of up to 30% off if you order in bulk like I do. So check it out. I know you'll love them as much as I do. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Studio Press Sites. Have you ever thought about starting your own blog, or maybe you already have one? If so, you're probably overwhelmed by all the technical details required to get a site up and running. There's purchasing a domain name and a hosting account, installing WordPress, the themes, the plugins, then setting everything up to work correctly. And this is all before you've even started writing. I've been blogging for over 10 years, and I know all too well the many headaches and technical challenges that starting a blog can create especially when geek speak is not my first language. That's why I'm super excited about today's sponsor, Studio Press Sites. Studio Press Sites is an all-in-one blog creation platform, and it's a tool I wish I had when I first started out, as it would have saved me hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars. This amazing blogging resource is WordPress made easy, all without sacrificing power or flexibility. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, affiliate marketers, as well as anyone selling physical products, digital downloads, or membership programs. Studio Press Sites is powered by the creators of the Genesis Framework, the software I've used on Wellness Mama for years. It includes super fast and secure hosting, 20 mobile-friendly theme designs, advanced SEO tools, automatic software updates, one-click installs of all the best plugins, and world-class customer support, all for one low monthly fee. Check out Studio Press Sites today by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash studio press. And now back to the episode. And another thing, it seems like there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to with dieting and women and especially thyroid disease about like low carb and ketogenic diets, which of course have a lot of benefits in a lot of other ways, but there's some specific differences for people with thyroid disease. Is that right? Or how do you address those kind of things? Um, you know, with carbohydrates, it's I think it's a very individual thing because for some people, they might do really well on the low carbohydrate diet. There was a study done in, I believe it was in Italy that just was published earlier this year, and it showed that people who were, um, they called it a low-carb diet, quote-unquote, and it was low-carb, but it also was, um, I would say, very close to the autoimmune paleo diet, and they compared that to like a low-calorie standard um, Western diet that included breads and rice and things, and they actually found that people on the lower-carb diet had lower thyroid antibodies, and then lost weight within three weeks. And so for some people, it does work really well. And um, for others, the low-carb diet might not work as well. And so you want to think about what um, are some of the reasons why a low-carb diet might not work. One of the the reasons could be because of um, people who have issues with protein and fat absorption. So a person may need to um, 
for example, take digestive enzymes to help them digest protein, may have need to take digestive enzymes to help them digest fats. And another thing is going to be for some people, the low carbs can actually put them in a stress response where their bodies think that they're being deprived. And so it, it really is kind of like um, something that I encourage everybody to experiment with and kind of modify your intake. So like, I can't say that there's this like one perfect thyroid diet as far as the macronutrients go, because some people are better at burning fat. Some people are better at, you know, carbohydrates and some people are better at and like thrive on protein. So it really is kind of, um, I would say trial and error with that, trying to modify your carbohydrate intake. That makes sense. But you do see people who even with thyroid issues can do really well on low carb because I know there's kind of that advice out there that if you have any kind of thyroid issue, you should never do low carb. And I feel like some people do seem to do well on it. Have you found that too? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of like one of those never say, it's kind of one of those myths that if you have thyroid disease, you should never do low carb because I've actually seen people do really well on the low carbohydrate diet. Of course, not everybody, but we'll have some people that will even go into ketosis and that's a huge game changer for them. So they'll start losing weight. Their mood finally improves, their brain fog resolves. And it's not something, of course, that you should be, it's not something you should be afraid of. Let's just put it this way, but it's definitely something to experiment with. And and I always recommend for people to not really buy into all of the diet dogmas out there because we know there's so many of them and try to listen to their own bodies because determining the right diet for you should be based on who you are right now in the moment, your genetic background, like what kind of stresses you have in your life, how your digestive capability is. And there's just so many different conditions that can impact how you should modify your diet. In my book, The Hashimoto's Protocol, I actually have a chapter on how to modify your diet. So I have, I shared the most helpful diets for Hashimoto's, which are going to be based on like the paleo protocol or the autoimmune paleo protocol with sort of a root cause twist where I found certain things just, um, for example, seaweeds don't work so well for people with autoimmune thyroid disease. But we also have a chapter on how to modify your diet if you're not getting the best results. So looking into like, okay, do you need to lower your carb intake, increase your carb intake, change your protein intake? Do you need to adjust your um, digestive enzymes levels to kind of help people figure that out and troubleshoot? Because it can be a little bit challenging. I agree. And I'll make sure to link to that and also to your website, which is thyroidpharmacist.com because you have so many good resources for people really trying to pinpoint that. Another thing that seems to be really popular right now is intermittent fasting. And I know that there are also some specific things you want to be aware of, especially as a woman and especially with thyroid disease. So what what's your take on the whole intermittent fasting craze right now? I think it could work really, really well for very healthy people. <laughs> you know what I mean, that are just trying to like optimize and improve their health. But when you have um, thyroid disease, a lot of times you have a lot of broken systems within your body. There are certain types of interventions like um, heavy metal chelation, um, you know, fasting, there's different types of enemas that people have done, um, vegan diets that are very trendy and can be very helpful for the average healthy person. But when you're when you're dealing with hypothyroidism, one of the issues that you have is adrenal issues and then blood sugar imbalances and any kind of fasting can actually potentially worsen the adrenals. So it's not something I recommend for most people with thyroid disease, unless they know that their adrenals for sure are not the issue. 
I would say in my experience, about 90% of my clients, uh, and I work with more like advanced cases, 90% of them have some degree of adrenal dysfunction. Only about 10% have normal adrenal tests. And for that 10%, intermittent, intermittent fasting might be fine. Um, that might not set them off. But what I've seen with my clients in fasting is that they actually feel worse and then their bodies sort of start breaking themselves down, which we don't want. Um, so most people with hypothyroidism are in like a catabolic process where their body is breaking itself down for fuel. And you want the opposite. You want like the anabolic process where you're, you know, if you think about anabolic, you think of like these bodybuilders that build anabolic steroids and that's sort of, um, an offshoot of that, but basically you want your body to build itself up and the fasting can actually put our body in that breaking down when we're hypothyroid, especially. Gotcha. So it would be better to focus on just those really nutrient dense foods and just nourishing your body and resting, especially if you're kind of in that acute phase, basically. Yeah. And actually like, you know, eating a lot of foods and just kind of sending your body those safety signals like, hey, there's plenty of food around and we're, we're getting you nourished because you're going to be so nutrient depleted that the fasting can worsen that and, and you don't want that. That makes perfect sense. And so the, I want to kind of wrap up with hope for anyone listening, because for years I was looking for a practitioner who could help me find the root of my own problem and eventually like really help my thyroid. And it took a long time and a lot of years. And I wasn't close to any of these people. In fact, the doctor I finally ended up working with is a four-hour plane ride away, which is hard for most people. So I send people to your blog all the time because you have so many resources to help people figure out as much as possible their own issues and to start addressing them. But for someone who maybe doesn't have a doctor who's knowledgeable about these things or um, is trying to just figure out as much as they can on their own, what would you recommend um, just from dietary and from your own website? You have so many great resources, but where can they start? Yeah. So, um, and, and, just as a quick reminder, I also have a doctor database on the thyroid pharmacist website, so people can look for that and just look for local practitioners. We have patients that have submitted practitioners that can help. And so, you know, finding doctor right is always kind of kind of a big challenge, but, and, you know, it, it's looking at making sure the doctor is familiar with all types of thyroid medications, not just T4. Um, it's making sure the doctor practices from more of a root cause functional medicine approach. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, you really calling the doctor's office and interviewing them. Um, so that's that's kind of a big thing with finding doctor, right? But I love what you just said is like, okay, so yes, there can be doctors that can help us, but what are the things that we can do in our lives right now that can help that can help ourselves? And I think the biggest things are going to be making sure that you get your, um, you can get your nutrition dialed in. So, you know, you alone hold the key to changing up your diet. So we can give you all the tools and resources. And I have, you know, you have plenty of them on how to go gluten-free, um, dairy-free, soy-free, and I, I have some as well. And so starting off with that is, is making sure you're eating um, a diet that's free of the reactive foods in thyroid disease, which are gluten, dairy, and soy to, to a starting point, making sure that you're properly nourished with with nutrients. Um, so I have a quick starter guide and some blogs on various nutrients like selenium, vitamin D, thiamine, B vitamins that you can start taking on your own. And of course, it's always good to check with your doctor if you have any health condition. Really thinking about how you deal with stress and your stress response. So stress is like one of the biggest things that makes people with thyroid disease worse. And so thinking about how you can reset that. So that's going to be getting plenty of sleep, 
making sure your blood sugar is balanced and doing any kind of like mindfulness technique, whatever, you know, whatever you could figure out something to calm yourself, whether that's doing yoga, um, whether that's doing, you know, meditation, I'm never, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like super, um, sit in a corner and meditate. So I actually had to get something to get my monkey brain, uh, you know, into meditation. And so I've, I've, I've done different types of apps, um, and neurofeedback as well as, um, there's a new thing out called muse that I think is really great. And it kind of teaches how to put your brain in that calm state so that you, um, you're not as likely to be hypervigilant, which we talked about can be something that happens when people basically go through, have a history of, of, you know, trauma, they can become hypervigilant and, and getting, just a few minutes of day of like really calm thinking can help reset that. And these are things people can do just, you know, in their homes right now, it doesn't take a doctor telling you to do that. And I consider these like the fundamentals of healing is making sure you're getting plenty of sleep, um, making sure you're, you're taking time for yourself to relax and just be mindful and then nourishing yourself. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think even if you are at the level where you need a doctor, um, doing those things first or while you're searching for the right practitioner is going to also give you such a leg up when you're working with someone and you won't have as far of a distance to have to cover with them. And you maybe will notice even a bigger difference from the interventions they do because you've already been trying to support your body nutritionally. So I think that's such awesome advice. And I'll make sure to link to all the posts that you've mentioned um, and also to your book, which I'm so excited about. Can you talk a little bit about the book and how people can find it? Yeah, absolutely. So my new book is called The Hashimoto's Protocol. And one of my readers actually gave me this idea because my first book was about my journey and all the research I did. And I just presented a whole bunch of information out to people that I, I did for myself to recover my health. But I think a lot of people loved digging for their health. And I kind of gave them the framework to do that. And we've had, I think, over close to maybe a thousand success stories that have come from that book. And I'm very, very proud of that. I'm very humbled by it as well. And I met one of my readers when I was doing a talk in Chicago and she said, you know, it would be really great that, you know, I love digging for my help, but it would be really great if you could just give me like a protocol, like just give me like exactly what I need to do. And as a health nerd, at first I didn't really get that. But then I went to like a Pilates class with a really intense instructor who was like, okay, Isabella, you're going to have Pilates homework. This is the muscle you're working with this exercise. And I was like, her knowledge was just lost on me. I was like, just tell me like how to raise my leg. Cause I want to, you know, it, it, it's swimsuit season. Like I want to look good in my swimsuit. And so I wanted to kind of boil it down for people. So they don't have to necessarily become Hashimoto's experts to recover their health, where I give them a plan of all of the different things they can do on their own to start recovering their health. And it goes through the liver, adrenals and gut protocols the liver is two weeks, adrenals is four weeks, and gut is six weeks. And these are interventions that are going to basically support your liver, support your stress response, and support your gut um, that are going to be helpful for, for just about everybody with thyroid disease. So that's going to be the first part of the book known as the fundamental protocols. The second part of the book is based on my few years of working with various people with thyroid disease. Um, so I've worked with over a thousand people now and I've identified some really interesting root causes and have come up with a series of assessments to help people pinpoint their root causes. And so we go through an assessment section where we have basically a whole bunch of questions, not that many, but, but enough. And the questions will take you to which of the advanced protocols you need to do. So there's also um, six advanced protocols within the book that deal specifically with toxins, they deal with trauma, 
optimizing the diet, optimizing nutrients, optimizing thyroid hormones, as well as looking over some additional types of triggers and root causes that may be a little bit more rare for the average person. So we really go through that to give people a comprehensive plan. Um, and rather than you know spending all this time trying to figure out what your individual causes are, what you can do is you can start doing the interventions that are going to support the three body systems that are impaired right away as you start digging for some of those more advanced root causes, if, if that's still a need for you. A lot of people just with the fundamental protocols will be able to recover their health. And, and I'm really, really excited about getting this book out there. And Katie, you know how hard it is to write a book. And I've been writing it since um, 2014. I've worked really, really hard to make it as approachable and as helpful for people as it possibly can be. And I'm really hopeful that it'll help people recover their health. I'm really aiming for getting 5,000 success stories from this book within the first year. And um, people could find it on Amazon. Absolutely. And I will link to it as well. But I'll also echo what you said, because I got to read an advanced copy and it's amazing. And I think you are going to change so, so many lives with it. And and more importantly, you're going to give people hope because I, having been through thyroid disease myself, I think that's almost the hardest part is sometimes you just feel so hopeless and you make it, like you said, it's very approachable. It's very easy to do. It's almost like a checklist that you can just take and apply without having to understand all the science unless you want to. And I think that's going to just be a game changer for so many people. Thank you. That really means a lot coming from you. Oh, I can't wait. And I would definitely encourage anybody listening who has any of the symptoms of thyroid disease or who's unsure and trying to figure it out to check it out also, because I think it's, um, like I said, it's going to really help so, so many people. And I'll make sure to include links to everything we talked about as well for anyone who wants to look at the show notes on wellnesswama.com. And you also have so many resources on thyroidpharmacist.com that they can look up as well. And um, thanks to all of you so much for listening. It's always so much fun to be able to share such wonderful people like Isabella with you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go check out her blog and her book and uh, let her know how much you enjoyed it. And thanks all for listening. And Isabella, thank you so much for your time and being here. Thank you so much, Katie. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.